Okay, we're starting in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. So again, Ruth is right after Judges, right before 1 Samuel. And some of the background here is that this book in, in, uh, was part of, it was an appendix to the book of Judges in, in the Jewish Bible. And it, it kind of adds on into the book of Judges. But we know from this book that it was written after the time of the Judges. It is believed that, that, that Samuel may have written this book, and we know that it was written after a period, after some time after the book of Judges. And the way we know that is that, is that, um, is that some of the practices that are practiced in the book of Ruth are explained by the author. So, in other words, when you're explaining what happened, the customs of the time, you say, back then they used to do this. So, in other words, you are now later on in in human history because you're describing back then such and such used to happen. This was a practice that they used to do. So that we know that this was written after the time of the Judges, but in reference to what happened during the time of the Judges. So, when this book was compiled, this is, this is what, what was happening, because it describes some of the practices that were going on. Now, the time period for, for this book is probably during the time of Gideon, the Judge Gideon, because that's the time in the book of Judges when there was a famine. And back in in Judges chapter 6, it talks about the rising up of the judge named Gideon. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves dens which were in the mountains and the caves and strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go up against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up... with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. So there was a famine for seven years during this period, and God then raised up Gideon. And so it was probably during this time period, this reference to this time of famine, in the book of Judges, that this man, get, that this book of Ruth was written. And the, the, the character, the father here, his name is Elimelech. And the interesting thing about Elimelech, Elimelech, he was not a prophet, he was not a priest, and he was not a king. And his wife, Naomi, was not a queen. There was no royalty here. It was just a common family. Just a common family. They may have had some wealthy relatives. In fact, there are some Jewish writings that say Elimelech himself 
was fairly wealthy when in Israel. But at this time, everything had now been devastated and ravaged. And this was God's judgment. It says, remember it said in in Judges chapter 6, it says, The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. We don't like to think about God lifting His hand and us being exposed to the problems of this world because God is all loving. He certainly doesn't want anybody to suffer. So why is He allowing suffering? This is a very common pattern. If that's the mindset that you have about God, that mindset is an inaccurate mindset according to the Word of God. There are judgments that come upon people, and judgments came at that time, and judgments still come today. In fact, these things can still come when, there, when there's disobedience to God. So it says, clearly says, when Israel did evil, in, this is in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. And so now what we see is we see this book, and it was probably, probably the time period is around 1000 B.C. And this is just a common family and some of their experiences. Would God judge a common family? Could a common family do something wrong? Or, or does He only judge nations and it never hits a family in particular? Well, it hits families. When He judges a nation, it hits families. The things that we do as parents, for example, greatly affect our children. If a parent lives godly, it is a blessing to their children. When a parent lives godly, it brings blessing to their children. When a parent lives in an ungodly way, it brings great hardship upon their families. You say, well, that shouldn't be. It should only come upon the bad parent. No, we are a family. It's the the same in societies. It's the same in countries. One person, one person doing wrong in society can cause enormous trouble for people around them. A person driving drunk. I mean, that can affect a bystander that has nothing to do with the situation. So disobedience, because people are integrated into societies, in societies within countries. When there is disobedience, it causes hardship upon many. What we're going to see in the book of Ruth, and many people love the book of Ruth because the underlying theme here is redemption. That is the underlying theme. Redemption is the key concept throughout this book that God is able to redeem. And that is what most people focus upon. But we're going to start to see Why was redemption even necessary? You redeem something that has in some way been lost. Why was it lost? It was lost because of disobedience. Redemption was needed because disobedience was there originally. That is why redemption was needed. And we're going to see this common family. So we're not talking about the sin of a king bringing wrath upon his or her nation. The sin of a judge, it says Israel sinned. So the nation sinned. Did everyone in Israel sin? Probably not. But there was sin. And as a result of that, a famine hit. And a famine is a prescribed penalty. 
that God had written about that would come upon Israel if they didn't walk in, in obedience. And that this famine occurred only within the borders of Israel. Remember, it occurred because, because the Midianites, along with the Amalekites, would come in and raid and kill everything and wipe out everything and burn all the fields. Year after year, they'd do this. And so Israel was, would hide up in the mountains, and that's where Gideon was. If you remember the story of Gideon, he was hiding and he was, he was threshing. You know, he didn't want this to be found by, the, by the, the Midianites as they were coming through, so they had to hide in the mountains to deal with this. But it was because of disobedience that it came. There was no famine in Moab. Moab was just to the east, the southeast of the Dead Sea. That's where Moab was. Moab was, uh, 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 was the son of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Abraham's nephew, Lot, got drunk one night and had, had sex with his one daughter, got drunk the next night, had sex with his second daughter, didn't even realize what he was doing. His daughters put him up to this, and he ended up having sons from each of them. Each of those sons became leader of a nation. Moab was... One of those sons became leader of this nation of Moab. God gave them, God gave the Moabites, because they were Lot's offspring, that area. That was not a part of land that that Israel ever had conquest over, nor were they ever to have it. God gave them that land and He never took away that land from Moab. In Moab there was no famine going on, and so this man, Elimelech, hears that there's no famine in Moab, and so he takes his family to Moab to escape this famine that was God's judgment upon Israel. And so that's where the story picks up. That's the context of the story. And, and, and this story of, of Moab and Abraham's nephew Lot is in Genesis 19, verse 37. It talks about this. The Moabites were worshippers of Chemosh, which was a pagan god, there was, there was a human sacrifice to Chemosh. And God was quite clear that Israelites were not to have dealings with Moabites. They were not to wipe them out, but they were not to have dealings with them. Okay, so let's start reading in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Mehlon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech Naomi's husband died, and she left her two sons. She was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. Then both Mehlon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Wow. How's that for a life? That is just a simple family, a simple life. Not a prophet, not a priest, not a king, 
We are learning about a simple family who lived 1,000 B.C. The man, because of a famine, it says, he was from Bethlehem. Remember, Bethlehem was the area that, that Jesus was born in. Bethlehem was where David was from. And this woman, Ruth, becomes the grandmother, eventually, of King David. But this is a story about redemption because there was sin going on. And there was sin and there was result of sin. This man, Elimelech, left the land. This was wrong to have done for three reasons. Scripturally, it was wrong to have done for Elimelech to have left the land. You say, well, you know, there was a famine going on. I understand that. The circumstances were tough. But because there are tough circumstances, does not give us free reign to disobey the ways of God. For example, times may be tough. Therefore, maybe just to cheat on my income tax, it would be okay. Because, you know, the economy is tough right now. And for me to cheat might be okay because I need to supply for my family, right? No, the Bible says you are to pay tax to whom taxes do. It instructs that in the book of Romans. And nobody ever likes paying taxes. But you pay taxes. We are not permitted to do wrong, even if the justification is we want to take care of our family. We are not permitted to do what is wrong. We are not permitted to obey, to disobey the Word of God, to think that we want to care for our family. This was wrong for three reasons for him to have left. First of all, Naomi recognized the bereavement as God's judgment upon her. So if you look in Ruth 121, It says, Ruth said, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Ruth herself realized that the judgment came from God. Now, this is not to suggest in any way that everything that we go through in life is a judgment from God. It is not. But there are things that come... There are judgments that come. There is discipline that comes upon the believer. There are judgments that come upon people because of disobedience to God's Word. Naomi recognized her bereavement as a result of the Almighty's hand. Secondly, the Moabites, the place where they go, where they went to, were forbidden from participating in the life of Israel. And that's seen in in Deuteronomy 23. So this is under the law, which they well knew at this time, and they were supposed to be following. Remember, this is the law of Moses that predates the book of Judges by quite some time. Uh, Certainly this period that he was living in. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. You shall not see your countrymen... uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord, because they did not meet you with food and water on your way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, 
The Lord your God will, was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all your days. That's what God said. They were forbidden for participating in the life of Israel, and yet He went into that land. That is a clear commandment. And it even says, what's interesting is that no Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation. Well, we just said that Ruth, who was a Moabitess, her grandson was David. How can this be? Well, because everything in Scripture, always of descendancy, passed through the father. Today in Israel, they choose the mother. But that is a rabbinic tradition that came in about 1000 A.D. But scripturally, it was always passed through the father. And they did this out of, out of what they felt was essential in rabbinic tradition because the Jewish women were being raped. They never knew who the father was, so they started going through the mother. And so when Jews say it runs through the mother, that is true for rabbinic Judaism. That is not true for scriptural Judaism. You say, well, rabbinic Judaism is what dominates. Well, in rabbinic Judaism, Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the King of Israel. So we know that rabbinic Judaism is not the way. Biblical Judaism still reigns superior. This is what reigns. Biblically, it runs through the father, not through the mother. That's what descendancy runs through. Um, and, and Boaz, who ultimately was her redeemer, was from Bethlehem. And the, the descendancy was then set through that. Number three, the third reason why it was wrong for Limelech to have gone down is, if God wanted them to leave that land, he would have instructed them to do so. They were never to have left that land. There were only two occasions when he told them to go. He told them before that, he told them after that during the Assyrian and the Babylonian deportations. When Assyria came, it was instructed, you know, this is out of disobedience. They're taking you away. Babylonians came, Nebuchadnezzar came, he said, and, and the prophet said, you know, yield to them. Don't try to fight them. This is God's judgment. And the word came through the prophet. They left the land. Now, God brought them back. Anytime God wanted them to leave this land, it was out of a judgment, and he instructed them to leave. There was no instruction to leave. And I know it is wonderful to only talk about all the great things in the book of Ruth. But the book of Ruth starts out in disobedience. It starts out by a simple family. A common man making a decision that's going to end up costing him his life and the life of his two sons. There was a judgment that took place here. And you say, well, you don't know that, that you know, he died because of this. I do know that it was wrong for him to have left. We have no record of any others leaving. Maybe they were the only family that left. Maybe there were other families, but there's certainly no reference to any other family in this book. It's not that they left with a clan at all. It was just this father, this mother, and their two sons left. And they were gone from that land, from Israel, for ten years. And then Gideon came, there was delivery, and they were still living in Moab, and it took a few years for them to get word, hey, Israel's eating just fine now. 
Are there judgments? Are there judgments that, that also come upon people today? Well, let's look at this. It, it says that after when Elimelech died, she was left with her two sons. So Elimelech dies. Naomi then just has her two sons. It says, they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. It was never supposed to be. These were worshippers of Chemosh. But they took for themselves two wives, and the name was one Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Mahlon and Chilon died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. And so let me, let me, uh, let me read you a passage from a, a, a Jewish commentary on this that sets this stage and talks about this sort of event. It says, Two observations can be made regarding the identity of Ruth and Orpah. The first observation is that the names of the, of the four Jews are Hebrew. So that's Elimelech, Naomi, and the two sons. Those are all Hebrew names. But the names of the two wives are not Hebrew, which shows the accuracy of this account. Although today Ruth is viewed as a nice Jewish name, it was not a Jewish name in its origins. A second observation is to note the negative aspects of the marriage. The term used for the marriage here is Nasa Isha, in place of the normal Lakach. The phrase Nasa Isha appears nine times in the Old Testament, and its context always has a negative connotation. And I have the nine references if you want it. So the name Nasha Isha, in the place of Lakash, indicates the narrator's negative judgment on this action. Again, the Mosaic Law did not actually forbid the marrying of Moabite women, but it is a violation of Deuteronomy 7, since the Moabites were people of Chemosh. The Israelites were forbidden to marry those who practiced idolatry. Furthermore, the fact that they went into exile itself was considered a judgment of God, from Deuteronomy 28, verse 32, where it speaks of going into exile. Also, they were married for ten years, and no children were produced. And barrenness was also a judgment of God, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 18. Finally, the negative aspect of the marriage is seen in the death of the two sons, which now leaves three widows. You had one widow, now there's three widows. There's a judgment here. Does judgment really still happen today, or is this something that's just a far off? doesn't happen today. Let's look in, in Acts chapter 5. So we're going to go back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5. And this, remember, Acts is an historical book. It doesn't give us teachings of what we're supposed to do today. It just maps out history. In Acts chapter 5, there's a man named Ananias and his, woman, his wife named Sapphira. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. They lied to the body of Christ about the, the price. And both of them are killed on the spot by God. In verse 5, as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over, the whole co- came over all who heard of it. The young man got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval about three hours, and his wife came in not knowing what happened. Now in verse 8, and Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. 
Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you've agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. Okay, so, judgment comes. Judgment came in the church, quickly and swiftly, for lying to the leadership, lying to the body of Christ's leadership. Again, that's in a historical book. Does judgment really happen today? Well, let's look in the epistles where we get our clear teaching as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this portion that I talk about each week over the Lord's Supper when we take it. Concerning the Lord's Supper, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we, are, if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the whole world. I mean, this is clearly what it says. And we can try to sugarcoat this all we want, but it's still going to remain a bitter pill. He says that if we take the cup of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, and that's what this portion is about. You can read in, 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 in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It is very much speaking of the Lord's Supper. If we take this in an unworthy manner, we bring judgment on ourselves if we have not judged the body rightly. Therefore, it says, it, it says that there are a number among you who are weak and sick and a number sleep. This term, sleep, means dead. This is the same term that was used when Stephen was killed. It says, and he slept. But slept, this term sleep, is for believers, meaning that they're not losing their eternal salvation. It means that they die physically. Peter did, or, or Stephen didn't lose his eternal salvation. He slept. Slept was for believers. It meant death for a believer, which means that it's an act of sleep, meaning that that you go to be with Jesus. But the physical part is weak and sick and some sleep. Physical things happen to believers because of judgments of disobedience. And this is why we must examine ourselves. It says, it says but... Uh, uh, um, in verse 28, but a man must examine himself. It's not like, well, if you feel like it, examine yourself before you take the Lord's Supper. It says you must. You must examine yourself. And you ask the Lord. And you say, Lord, have I done wrong this week? And when the Lord brings things to your memory, then repent of them. Just say, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me. If it involves another person, you make a commitment to deal with that, and you deal with it that week. You deal with it. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
and in so doing, he is to eat of it. You see, what happens is, it is a tendency of many believers, and I can't understand this, but I understand the rationale, but it's a disobedience in and of itself. The tendency is, I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper because that's too dangerous. I don't want to call down judgment on myself. Well, to not take it violates this as well. It says you are to examine yourself and you are to eat it. You are to take. Jesus said, unless a man eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he has no part of me. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this. It's not like if you feel like doing it, if you feel clean, you do it. He said, do it. You are to do this. And this is why, as a believer, I cannot understand the evangelical body of Christ. I cannot understand Bible-believing churches that so infrequently take of the Lord's Supper or speak about what needs to be done in the Lord's Supper. I don't understand it based on the Scriptures. Where people who want to follow the Scriptures, this is so clear and so obvious. And you say, well, how often do they take the Lord's Supper? It says they met together on the first day of the week for the breaking of bread. They did this, and this term breaking of bread is constantly also used in the context of the Lord's Supper. When Paul met, remember when, when, when uh, uh, Eutychus had fallen down, they had taken the Lord's Supper in that, in that service. That morning they took the Lord's Supper. And it says that for he who eats and drinks, drinks and Judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. But in verse 28 it says, Let a man examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The examination clears the way so that we don't get judged. But if God is convicting us, there's something there. We don't protect ourselves by saying, Well, I just won't take of the Lord's Supper. That way I can continue in this sin. (laughs) I've really outsmarted God, haven't I? You haven't outsmarted anyone. You get more judgment on yourself. More. For not partaking of the Lord's Supper and for not dealing with your sin. Because you don't want to deal with your sin and repent of it, you don't take of the Lord's Supper, that's a double violation. You see what I mean? The rationale just isn't there for not participating. Once brought someone to the church and we were taking the Lord's Supper and he says to me, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't I tell you what? Why didn't you tell me you were taking the Lord's Supper? Uh, because this is a church and this is what we do at church. didn't tell you specifically we were going to sit down, but we did and you didn't get upset with me. I didn't tell you specifically we were going to get teaching from the Word of God, but we got it and you weren't upset. As if I had done him some great wrong by trapping him. And this is the mindset that we get into. But within the context of the message for today in Ruth, judgments still come today. God is not done judging. And one of the judgments that comes is that there's weak and sick and sleep. And this can be spiritually or physically. And not that every physical sickness is because of a judgment. Not at all. But because of a judgment, weakness and sickness can come, and so can death. But it's to sleep because it's in the believer. The believer's death is always considered a sleep because Jesus said, they live with me. But look what it says. But if we judge ourselves rightly, 
we will not be judged. If we judge ourselves, so I want to judge myself. Have I done wrong? And God gives us the Holy Spirit, this capability to hear if we've done wrong. If we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. You see, our judgment brings about discipline of God so that we are not condemned along with the world. We don't die a death. We die a sleep. Those who are walking in disobedience die a sleep. You know, they die physically. But he says that, but when, you are ju- but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. You see, his judgment upon the believer is a discipline. But we can avoid even the discipline by having repented of it and dealt with it. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. Because God's act of discipline is to cause us to realize our sin to get us out of it. But if through repentance we ah, stand on me, I'm doing this wrong. There's no need for God to discipline us because we've dealt with the problem. The heart's already dealt with. The action is already dealt with because we've turned from it. You see what I mean? His discipline is to draw us back into the right way. But we can even avoid the discipline part. Because the greater part of discipline is to deal with the heart. If the heart is already dealt with, you don't even need the discipline. How wonderful is that? Judgments are brought by parents upon their children at no fault of the children. But as I tell my teenagers, the decisions that you made when you were little affected your life a little. But as you've gotten older now, the decisions that you make now will affect your life an awful lot. You know, you'll spend a few nights in jail for some of the decisions you make. These two young men decided, well, we're going to take Moabite wives. They both died, just like their father died. And Naomi recognized that her bereavement of her husband and her two sons was a judgment of God. One, for leaving the land when they never should have left the land. There are consequences for disobeying this word. And you say, well, God is all loving, He's all friendly, He's a He's also a judge. And he also cares about his word. And these two young guys, as they got older, they made a decision in their lives that affected their lives a lot. This is why at the age that you are in, the decisions you make will affect your lives a lot. Who you marry will affect your life. I guarantee you that. That's why you don't move into this thing easily. You be careful what you do. Who you marry will affect your life. Spending time in worship of God and in memorizing and studying His Word will affect your life. The Bible speaks about the great blessing of daily meditating on the Word of God. And we have a tendency to think, well, if I do this once a week, I'll get one-seventh of the blessing. No, you get zero. The Bible doesn't say, you do a fraction of this, you'll get a fraction of the blessing. There's no fractional part of this. It says you do this daily, you will, re- you will be blessed. 
You will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which shields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and whatever you do, you prosper. When you make this Word of God your daily meditation. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Making this your daily meditation. Then you will be blessed. You don't get one-seventh of the blessing by once a week or one-thirtieth by once a month. The decisions you make affect you. There are judgments that come. That is clear. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the Word of God, for what you teach us, what you teach us about judgments and the Word of God and the seriousness of obedience to your Word. I pray, Lord, for these young people that you'd get a hold of their hearts and so teach them your ways. Father, Teach them your ways, I pray. The mercies of God, may they reign. In the name of Jesus, amen.